Welcome to the Dealmaker Show, the number one place for entrepreneurs and dealmakers to learn about leveraging and generating status, frame control, and narrative power to close big deals. Here is your host, investment banker, deal-making expert, and best-selling author of Pitch Anything and Flip the Script, Mr. Oren Claff. Okay, you are live. Hey, welcome. I'm Grant Cardone, and I'm here with Lewis Howes on the uh, podcast of Amazing Greatness. Hey, Lewis, how are you today? I'm good. Um, yeah, I was going to go with like LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow. I yeah. Wanted- Thank you. Hey, Lavar. So, no, obviously, this is John Moore Clapp. This is uh, Justin Michaels. um, And the amazing thing about Justin, to me, is he has unpacked and put back together the ad tech, marketing tech, sales tech, sales stack, all the the APIs that you really need to do outreach today in a way that you can reach your prospects connect with them. And I think, you know, one thing we have to talk about is how much you're offending people when you're using a full AI, you know, machine learning integrated stack and breaking in, you know, on their dinner with a FaceTime call and trying to convert them in. Cause a lot of people would say, Hey, look, I understand, right. You're selling warrant car warranties. You're selling, uh, uh, you know, things that are outside the box. You're, you're selling uh, seats on the next space launch with Space Billionaire. You're, you're selling something that's sort of out, an NFT of a random basketball game with LeBron James on a Wednesday night in a non-critical game. Like you're, so, so you're breaking into people's headspace using your tech stack with something that just has this outwardly incredible appeal and I get having a conversation, but motherfucker, I sell insurance. Yeah. And, and so I, a need to be credible because I work for a company and we can't just, you know, walk up to somebody's house, virtual house with a virtual baseball bat, bang on the door and say, Hey, what's up? Oh, you're having dinner. Sorry. Uh, need to talk to you about whatever I'm selling. So, so I, I have an infrastructure above me that needs me to behave in a certain way. Number two, I feel I have a belief system that if I'm breaking through the barriers that people have set up, the defensive barriers, if I'm breaking through them with technology, multiple touches, messages, weird, crazy, unusual messages, that I'm I'm freaking them out and I don't know how to overcome that. So w- uh, there's, I feel like when people feel like you're using these fancy next generation tools to break through the defensive barriers and shock people into a conversation. How do we have that conversation? Is that sort of the, the, uh, you know, the pushback you get or some of the initial experiences people have when they use a full tech stack to do outreach? Those are all really great points. It's like D all the above one when initial reading the book, uh, some of the old guard authors said, you're, you know, you're like John Connor and Skynet. Uh, my advice to you is don't release this book, rip it up. It's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it could be used for evil. It had almost like an anarchist cookbook feel. It's like you this sent a million emails. <laughs> when, when you're on a plane and someone's reading your book, right. But they've taken the cover off. Exactly. They have right? the, Bible, you know, the Bible around it. They have it. Yeah. You know, 
you know, yeah, it's, but it's, we put a heart and a soul and a conscience in it. You know, it's, it's, it's fun holding these up because I get compared to this guy or, you know, an iron human. Uh, so I can bring everyone to the table, but I also get compared a lot to these folks who weren't so fun. But yeah. so I have a community called Sales Borgs, which is a seller and a cyborg. Um, the truth is insurance agents can use this tech, but not all of it. There's a lot of dialer tech that allows them to dial the phone faster and frees up their time. So it doesn't matter which, actually we're at a point of peak tech stacks, no matter what industry you're in, there's something in my book that would be appropriate. The weaponization of the tech stacks in startup companies, when you really get a blank check and you get to go nuts, right? That's the goal there is actually almost a Turing test. I want my automation to be so good that you don't know it's automation. That's the artistry and the craft. Most people can't get to that level. It's identifiable and they know they're getting buffeted. It's like, oh, you're banting me, you're sandling me, you're sequencing me. It's like, hey, Oren, I noticed your company grow by 31 people and you just raised $21 million. It's like curly bracket, curly bracket. Sometimes the curly brackets fail and you can see the automation, like the Frankenstein, the wire pops out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a multifaceted answer. It was a great question. This is where I think there's the, the most amount of challenges people have. Uh, so, so, by the way, just to put in context, like my world is I, I have Daniel and other people you've met here do the tech stack and the technology. The world I live in is the human psychology of messaging. So when you say, hey, people can see, you know, the, the uh, you know, this is science fiction book, but, but people can tell the monster or the machine, right, or the cyborg or the android from a human very easily. That's the world I live in. How do we humanize, no matter what technology that you're using, how does it feel like this is not a robot? So the first thing that I want anybody to see in any messaging at any level that I deliver is I am not a robot. To your point, the way to signal, I think, I'm not a robot is to pull something out of their world that, that, you know, a robot wouldn't have enough uh, perceived intelligence to know or pick up on. Right. You just nailed it. The highest level, which is what I call hyper because personalization at scale has failed. It's something that was used as a marketing gimmick by LinkedIn. LinkedIn has billions in revenue and 750 million users. And they said, just personalize. So we have all this in mail and we said, well, Oren, you and I both know Daniel Berger and you'll be like, yeah, a lot of people know him, or we know Max Altschuler. We both know Manny, the CEO of Outreach. Okay, great, that's good, but it doesn't make you take the meeting. But if I go in to your book, Flip the Script, and on page 210, I pull out an insight. First of all, you're like, okay, he actually read my book. He's yeah. pulling the quote. You might still be skeptical, but if I go in and I hyper-personalize and I try a little more, like we could program a machine to read your book and pull out nuggets. You could, we could do it, but it's not going to happen, you know? And if it, it's like, there's an emotion to it. There's a flavor to it. There's a sterility to pure AI where you can tell that they didn't really research you. So to your point, if you hyper-personalize and then use this tech stack to amplify that signal, it's extremely powerful. You're not fooling the prospect. You're giving them a quality experience at scale. That's a lot better than the 999 people that just sent them the you know, bullet point email or the HubSpot template, yeah. or, you know, we all get these like, uh, number one, a crocodile ate you. Number two, an armor fell on you. Number three, pound sound. You know, you get these crazy emails like from 2012. It's not modern and it's not funny and it doesn't work. 
but it's everywhere. So I, I think we're coming at this from different worlds. The world, you know, that that I live in, unfortunately, is you know we can create a pitch deck or a pitch or an email message that we blast out to I would say around seven to twelve people. Right. So because we're just we're trying to get into a private equity group or we're trying to get into a CEO of a highly verticalized industry with a very specific deal to plug in. And so the visualization that I always use for our business, I want to get back around to you. So we're not doing it at scale. Right. What we're trying to do is we're trying to dock the Russian space station and the American space station. And if one thing is off, it's just a clang, and then they spin off into space, and we've destroyed both. So, so the docking mechanism, we put a huge amount of thought into. How will the CEO of a $500 million company open this email and go, uh, "This the stakes are high. I have to look at this. It's easy to respond I can't ignore this because it's just going to come around through some other channel. This has to be paid attention to by me. Those are my goals, right? Because I don't have the scale that you have, not to insult and not, you know, not to, but I, I can't, I can't, um, you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G test that email, right? right. Because on my A test, there's only seven guys. So, so, mm -hmm. so absolute certainty is where we have to be for, for outreach because we can't blow, we don't, we, now, um, now, but we do find those same skills about how to raise the stakes, make it relevant, make it unignorable, uh, and communicate that this is not going away, right? And it's just going to pop up through some other channel. If it's ignored, they have to flag it. Even, you know, CEO of a, of a you know, a company with 2,000 people in it. But, but those same techniques work when or work even better when you do get to go out for scale. So maybe we could just slow down a bit and say, uh, before we get into content, what are the baseline technologies today that do, you know, do allow you that, that, you know, a, a average person with average intelligence working at an average speed could, <laughs> could use today to, to do multi-channel messaging. Yeah. So first, um, the big companies like sales loft and outreach have semi automated modes where you pull out the C levels and you would take the Orin Claff approach of a very deep dive and, you know, four hours to sharpen the ax, then hit the tree. Yeah. I would not send the chief marketing officer of Verizon an automated email ever, even if I could fool them because it's too much writing. You need to, you need like, I, I read a lot of your blogs. You need to go deep. You need to get in the psychology, the research, everything. You got to stand way out, even send a FedEx for $35 to make sure they sign and read that thing, you know, and then it, the stakes are everything. Um, I have a unique position because about five, six years ago, I was part of a company called Outbound Works and we spent a few million dollars on this stuff really quickly. And we scaled to a $10 million run rate. It was a lot of fun. We did hundred startups at once. And I sent millions and millions of emails and I tested tech stacks and I had 17 engineers and we built all this space age stuff. We tried everything for the, um, the lay people, the average seller. I hate this word average, but, but can we just, can you unpack that a little bit? Like sure, how yeah. fast you can get yourself in trouble, right? By looking at a couple of tools and going, Oh my God, this amazing world of, uh, uh, building a, a, an outbound tech stack automated, like how, 
how many people, how much budget, how much intelligence would you just to stumble into that world and say, I'm going to be able to do this? Um, it, should you set your expectations? Yeah. So only 15% of high growth companies even automate this. Here's a, here's a perfect umbrella statement. If you send your emails one at a time in 2020, or you dial a telephone one at a time, it is dark ages. So anyone hearing this, if you're doing that, a competitor is eating your lunch right now. The baseline technology is we do not live in an environment where you have to, you know, individually do this stuff. It's all automatable and with very high degrees of personalization. Um, getting into trouble with it is buying it and you buy outreach and you go, great, I'm going to send a thousand emails and Gmail says 150 cap, boom, your domain shut off. So if you go too fast, so it's actually an extreme amount of prep and onboarding. It takes me two weeks to set up one of these campaigns. It's brutal. Yeah. It's like yeah. 25, 25, 50, 50. I'm doing like, I'm testing the wall, like a painter. I'm like white paint on the white wall. Oops, it's blue. Okay. Let's try that again. You know, it's right. You, it's, it's like formula one. You got to test these engines all year. Now we're on the track. Now we're testing the track. So there's so much that goes in behind the scenes. Um, you know, people ask me, well, Justin, it took you eight hours to set up that personalization at scale sequence. Why is it worth it? Because now that I've set it up, I can send thousands and it's perfect one-to-one. -one. It took eight hours and I just saved 50 hours. So there's so, more upfront cutting. <laughs> yeah. Here's a, here's, yeah. Here's the way I think about it. I, you know, I just want to break it down for my pea dinosaur brain. But here's the way I think about it. Like, how many friends do you have that day trade today? Oh, really? None. Why? Because the computer's day trade. There's no way that you can. Uh, there's no way that you can make a judgment call, find some alpha, chase that alpha with your nine dollars. Right? <laughs> that that the the twenty seven PhD. Uh, you know, MIT graduates at a hedge fund aren't programming, and we've worked on some of these deals, you know, a, a um, supercomputer with a tech stack to chase down that one trade, uh, you know, oh, about seven seconds before you decide to commit to it. So day trading today is not a thing because the computer is doing Whoa, that was my drink. Okay. Now I'm going to be thirsty. Now I'm going to be thirsty the whole rest of we're, this podcast. We're the same person. I uh, the, the Coffee was invented so I could blow it up on myself because I yeah. always spill my coffee in my car, on a couch, on a bedspread. It's uh, it's hilarious. I don't drink much coffee. I just spill it for a living. The the main tech stack in, uh, in our podcast are the laptops that I spill coffee on. <laughs> <laughs> I've blown several laptops with, uh, with, with Starbucks. <laughs> so... Um, I think 100%, if you find yourself picking up the phone or sending up an email, hey, this is Jim, um, you know, realize that you guys, uh, you know, saw an article on you and that you guys are starting to expand into our area. Uh, we, you know, we'd love to t show you how our insurance program could improve, you know, your return on invested capital by 3%. Um, you know, maybe in the next couple of weeks, you, we could set up a phone call and just, right. If you find yourself writing that and hitting send, I think it's the equivalency is you trying to day trade against the 37 PhD astrophysicists in the basement of Goldman Sachs. And they're, they're laughing at you, right? So, so there's a Justin out there at your competitor or within the competitive set that, you know, in their mind's eye is watching you write that email or pick up that phone call and leave a message. And, and it's like, it's like a Saturday Night Live skit to them. <laughs> you doing your day job for someone else is a Saturday Night Live skit, and they're laughing.
It's really interesting because we to get to study the future, we study the past and the office of the CMO chief mark. So we all have, we know the term growth hacking. We all remember the SEO revolution. So, you know, you're in CLAF. So you're on the front page of Google because you're in CLAF. You sold millions of books. I have not. Uh, that's very hard to do. But for a while, there was an obsession with how do I get on the front of Google and how do I growth hack? And it was this big thing. And nobody really talks about it now because everyone figured it out. Right. But sales has not figured out how to use tech stacks. Sales like we're going to specialize and we're going to have automation, artificial intelligence. And then the CMO is like, we did that 10 years ago. You know, so like sales is just catching up because as far as the PL, the CEO has always looked at the sales team like they're expensive. We got to fly them everywhere. Where's the revenue? And they haven't wanted to invest. But the truth is, in these high growth companies, $2,000 per rep per month on sales tech stacks, some up to 5,000. When you get things like connect and sell, like these, these parallel assisted dialers that dial the phone four to 10 times, when you have yeah. VA operations where they're grooming and enriching the data offshore, all that means is they're making sure your emails and calls work or pre-calling them. So imagine if you could call a list, it's pre-vetted, targeted, pre-called and with intent, right people, working number and working email. Sounds like the holy grail, you can do it, it's expensive. But imagine if your competitor in the insurance business has leads that already showed intent to buy and working cell phones. That's cutting like a hot knife um, yeah. versus calling so, switchboards and... <laughs> so, uh, to a million percent agreement. So there's two sides of this. One is the tech stack, right? And the second is the messaging that you feed into. So the tech stack... So why don't we do this? Why don't we, you know, we have a, uh, I have a barbecue grill company that sells NFTs of, <laughs> of, uh, grilling. So, so <laughs> that's late. I have a, uh, you know, barbecue grill, awesome.com. And, uh, what we do is we sell barbecue grills, but we sell NFTs of, uh, people grilling the most highly rated steaks in the world. <laughs> right, and buy you know the the Japanese Wagyu number one 2021 uh, winner of highest quality steak. You know, and that steak sold for thirty five thousand dollars for four ounces. You can buy the NFT of that piece of steak being grilled. Okay, mm, okay, that's our company. Let's build quickly the tech stack for the outreach um, for for buyers of uh, you know, let's just say. Th uh, a $35,000 barbecue grill setup, including one free NFT. And so, so let's build the tech stack, but then let's talk about the messaging that has to go in that tech stack. Where, where would we start in your mind? That's where my book that. came from. So my book yeah. originally was called TQ because I realized that EQ and IQ, there's got to be this AQ adaptability quotient or technology quotient. Um, whether you fly a 747, a 767, race a car, paddle shifters, it's a human and a machine. There's a human machine UI UX interface and it's hard. If I write a book about tech stacks and you ask that question, that question is unanswerable in five years, 10 years with the singularity. What I realized that the modern seller of today does not just have a phone and yellow pad. I'm a bit old school. I'm 41. I've been doing this 20 years. So I still use these nostalgically. It's like a vinyl record. The modern seller. Hey, you're 41. You're 41. Yes. yes. Daniel. What the hell? You put me on a podcast with a 41-year-old. What is he going to know? I need like I 20, I need these 22-year-olds, right? I know, right? <laughs> well, I've been doing it for 20 years. And right. the thing is, I was I was early on UX UI because I, I came from the recording yeah. business. So I used to use yeah. Pro Tools and Logic. And uh, believe it or not, recording music is nearly impossible in, in the late 90s. It was very hard just to mic all this stuff up. And yeah, I have Gen Z people. My book was, um, I had a technical engineer read the whole book to make sure it could be done. Um, 
So I realized that the tech stack is LinkedIn. You're sitting on LinkedIn looking for the people. Then you need the data because LinkedIn won't give you the emails and phone numbers. Then you can't sit there and one at a time email. So that's why outreach and sales are big. Now in the pandemic, you're remote. So someone must be able to listen to your calls. So you have Gong or Chorus. Yesterday, Zoom Info, which was the second tech stack, bought Chorus, which was the fourth tech stack. So I have this core essential stack. So sales, at least 7 million people that sell software, uh, is that core stack, it's not a phone. And that's what led to the book and this whole revenue operations revolution. So if you're doing the barbecue NFT um, and the tech stack, what is the messaging? Well, well the let's, first, oh, yeah. so let's nail down the tech stack. Okay, sure. Okay. So the, so the core, so go through the outreach. So we have sales navigators, we have LinkedIn, yep. but the business version of LinkedIn, sales sure. navigator, eh, it's like a hundred bucks a month, like a cell phone, yeah. maybe 80. That's going to give you self-healing CRM where you raise your hand and say, what company's that? Yeah. Um, that's not, it's really amazing. The economic graph, but they do not let you have emails and phones at scale. So zoom info, the second, the data layer, and there's so many yeah. great, uh, platforms that do this. You pay another fee <laughs> so I can get your cell and your direct email. The third is I now need to automate. I need to make calls and I need to do emails because now I have the ability to do it, but I would rather be able to do 150 emails a day or 300 emails a day than only get 50 done. Cause I, you know, I'm a full cycle seller. I've got my mid funnel and my down funnel. Now I'm remote. I'm not in my office. So how's my boss going to figure out what I'm doing? We yeah. record all the calls with gong and chorus and run AI and benchmark, listen to talk ratio and all that good stuff. So that became the essential stack, those four components. And that's the revolution that I talk about in my book because I can't find, I mean, I can't find anyone selling that doesn't have that stack. So I, I love it that we slowed you down enough to hit that because nor, when we just let you go at your natural pace, it's like talking to Marshawn Lynch, Marshawn, <laughs> um, so Marshawn, uh, you know, in a game in the, you know, final Super Bowl, uh, you know, when you scored the game winning touchdown, you know, can you tell us about the strategy that you used? <laughs> run through a motherfucker face? Well, what? So, what was behind the thinking? You know, when you receive That's the ball funny. and you're looking down the field and you see eleven, you know, players facing you, and you have to sort of figure out how to, you know, you know what goes through your mind. You run through a motherfucker face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just do it. How do I explain it? Right. Well, that that was the difficulty of the book too. Is I really wanted to show uh, people. You know, my seventy year old mom has a tech stack because she's got Gmail. She's got you know. Zoom, she's got Facebook, Instagram, she's got a better phone than me. She has like a better iPhone, but she's 70. So I realized, so I call it MacGyver tech stack or MacGyvering your tech stack. And then I call them Frankenstack because LinkedIn has a closed API. What I mean yeah. by that is LinkedIn won't integrate with anyone. And that's been the biggest thing that's broken yeah. the ability to really create these harmonic stacks because imagine having like a race car, but you know, the pistons can't talk to the computer. <laughs> I'd be like, that's difficult. So we have this problem uh, similar to what Apple set up, the walled garden issue, is certain vendors are walled gardens and certain vendors are open source. And so these sales ops leads, these rev op leads, they're like Jedi, wizard, you know, tech engineers. They come in and they have to glue it all together to get the data out of it and get the reporting layer. Um, so that's the base stack. The messaging you asked me about, I want to get into that. It has yeah, to be differentiated. In the messaging, because that's where I spend my whole life thinking about yeah. what what messaging is going to move the reader or the receiver off of the status quo, which is ignore or save for later, which is also ignore. 
And so I have very you know firm thoughts on this that I'm committed to, but let's take, so I want to compare and contrast. Well, actually, I just want to prove that I'm right, but <laughs> I'll compare and contrast. No, um, <laughs> the, so an email comes in, right? And so let's break down the components of an email. Okay. Right? Because I think a sales guy, I think, oh, I'm sending somebody an email. Okay, well, hold on. There's multiple components. You know, there's a subject line. There's a time of day delivery. Um, there's, you know, name, no name. There is, uh, you know, the first line. There's the length. There's the, uh, the setup, you know, the intrigue, the reveal, the call to action, um, the, the, you know, the credentials, the source of the email. So when I look at an email and I, there's layers in an email, you know, we call, I call it the layer cake. So there's layers in an email. There is also a lot of variables that come in with an email that trigger different routes in the human mind of how to process that email. So I'd be interested to hear, you know, you're thinking of like, what are the components of an email that, that are even variables that you have options to even tweak and tune. Yeah, so I'm gonna quote Oren Claff and say, don't trigger the crop brain. And what I mean by that is I was the first person in 20 years of software as a service to say, your email should look like a text message. And here's my big tombstone realization, email is visual. Yeah. Words are pictograms, comes from cave painting. Your brain struggles to read them. My you know, six-year-old daughter struggles to read them. And at, late at night when we're tired and we're reading a book, like maybe Dune, can't wait for the new movie, uh, we get tired and our eyes start getting bleary. But we can go in a car and we can see the sky, the earth, you know, the cosmos, and it's fine. Because what's happening, so you're sending someone that's going to trigger their fight or flight. These marketing emails, these long expository emails, and the F, look at the F curve. Look at how they're shaping the F. They're going, should I delete it? Is it safe? Is it from the IRS? Why is it long? Should I get, you're actually triggering an executive in a really negative way when you send that 13 second to process email. So if you can first get the mail delivered, we can talk all about, you know, deliverability and sender score. But let's just say I have managed to get an email to Oren Claps and he opens it. I get 18 characters between the subject line and the preview text. That's it. So the vast majority of all business emails says, hope you're doing well. And so 99% of business email is just a waste. You would, would you ever put an ad on the internet that says, hope you're doing well on the side of Facebook? No, you boom, you, you have to hit it like a journalist. So I want to draw back. <laughs> I, I wanna, you, you go too fast, right? I know. It's just I my, know. It's, you, you have a very smart you know, audience. Um, my audience needs this to go a little bit slower. Um, it's, it's, and, I'm sorry. I got excited. I don't get to talk to uh, yeah. Warren Claps every day, but someday yeah, maybe. So, so the Neanderthals that I come with, including myself, <laughs> need to unpack this stuff more slowly. No, uh, I, I don't think it's that at all. I think that we, the, the, the folks that, come, that you know, I'm dragging in want to take this hour that they've invested in you and I and go execute. Oh, right? yeah. So, Utility. So when, when we... That just tends to be like the uh, the guys in my cohort are working on a deal, are working on a sale, are working on a program. They're mm -hmm. on sort of the uh, you know the philosophy, the stoic philosophy of how to be business. You know, work in the business, not on the business. Great motherfucker. Now what do I do? Okay, so <laughs> so um, we're we're sort of out of philosophy and actually wanting to do stuff. I can so, slow it down. Yeah. So so no, but but here's here's a way I look. Like I feel like the person who figured this out was um, the New York Times in you know 1893. Exactly. So to me, this looks like something that I know how much time to invest in and get information out of. So if you look at the New York Times, big headline, right? Um, the the uh, so U.S. pulls out of Afghanistan. 
subhead, okay, just by the existence of the subhead, if that's enough for me, right, uh, then then th- that's all I need. I've got the big hunt. The subhead is, um, but we'll stay involved, you know, with air combat and continue to reach, you know, our security goals. Then there's a sub-subhead, right, which starts to mention some of the people involved. And then I've got copy. So this just looks like something that I know how to get information out of. And so to your point, to me, an email should look like, it should pattern match to something that one of my partners would send me and, and that would give me some information and ask me to make a decision about what to do next. So, so the, it's a visual pattern match to something I get from people I work with day to day. Agree or disagree? Yeah. So I, I love how you break that down because I have this whole theory called journalism. I remember it was like the one class I took in high school. Cause I was just kind of, I left school at 15 and tested out my guidance counselor. Like you're not going to mount anything. So I, I probably did get turned down by Salesforce and LinkedIn 200 times, but I ended up working for both of them because sales, they're not looking at your MBA. They're like, what if you sold? And I had the references and I finally got there and it took me till I was early thirties to get to those style companies. And I, you know, killed myself in incubators for the first 10 years. And I was more than no one sell anything, sold shoes, sold, you know, widgets, actual widgets. (laughs) Uh, But to your point, uh, think like a journalist. So when it comes to fundraising, and I love this about your work, it's like the purpose of the headline is the first sentence. The first sentence is second is to get to the call to action. And when I do A-B testing, I'm testing subject lines and the first line and then different calls to action. I'm using a sequencer to run that. So here's 100 people getting the first subject line. Here's 100 getting the second. Well, how many replies did it get? Was it negative or positive? And running them through. And it's, you know, it's interesting now about CNN.com and the MarTech on there is CNN.com, go load it multiple times. All the, everything on the front page of CNN.com is an A-B test. It's all rotating. You know how it has little cliffhangers? It's like, this celebrity just got caught. But right. it's like, just tell me, is it Alec Baldwin again? Like, you know, click and you have to go in. It's like clickbaity. But it's actually good with email to not give it all away and to create the intrigue and to pull them in. I I listen to a lot of your work and I know you believe in this stuff. Yeah. Wait, this is, if, if, you know, if you come here or we spend time with you, what the, the number one thing that will, uh, uh, sort of pick on somebody for, or, or criticize is you're starting with the reveal. There's no setup, there's no intrigue. And so you don't have the benefit of the reveal. So to your point, celebrity, gets in trouble for the third time in one month. You won't believe who it is, <laughs> right? That is, has, I mean, they tested at scale, but but that's going to have a higher click rate than, you know, Alec Baldwin gets a parking ticket. All right. <laughs> so so yeah. now, I mean, this is a different subject, The which we'll get to later. Well, you know, unless this goes on for four hours, I know we have, we have a time limit, but, but the intrigue hook <laughs> can't be significant. You know, what makes your emails clickbait is the intrigue hook is way higher in intrigue than the actual content reveal. Boom. That, that yeah. will hold you over, but value payload. But, but I think for me as listening to you, I hear you starting to break down the components of an email, right? Mm-hmm. The subject line, you know, the intrigue hook, you know, the opener, the meat, the call to action. Bam. So what do you call these elements? So you, you've got the, the AB test in the subject line. Then you've got the hook. 
I mean, I, I created my own method and because of how funny it is, I've actually met Alan Parsons from the Alan Parsons project. I'm from the music business. So I've met most, I'm Eric Clapton. So Alan Parsons is in, you know, Dr. Evil. He goes, we're going to call it the Alan Parsons project. So I call my method, the yeah. Justin Michael method to make fun of myself as a dark guru. So, so hey, wait, by the way, <laughs> sorry, sorry. No one's going to appreciate this, but, uh, do you know, uh, do you know the band um, Ugly Kid Joe? Ugly Kid Joe. Yep, they're actually one of the only bands that got famous from Santa Barbara. Oh wow, yeah. So so there's a band. I love the origination story because it's the same of Ugly Kid Joe, right? Yeah. So they were opening for. Do you know the story? I don't know the story. No. Oh but yeah. So they were the opening. <laughs> they were they were the opening act for Pretty Boy Floyd. Okay. Ah, no and way. And they got in a fight. They were called something else, you know, the Light Post Project or whatever. Uh, <laughs> you know, Santa Barbara, the the Wave Sisters, whatever they were called. And uh, so they got in a fight with Pretty Boy Floyd just before opening with them. So they announced their name change to Ugly Kid Joe <laughs> as they were opening for Pretty Boy Floyd. So, yeah, naming yourself after other bands is a real thing. Yeah, it's so funny. The only other real there's Toad the Wet Sprocket came out here, and the other really famous band was called Snot. You can imagine it was a heavy metal band. I was, I, I mean, it's just funny. It's a little town. Well, um, I don't go to Santa Barbara. Yeah, know. don't write a book. And uh, but if you come here, it's this. I always say I'm living the life of a Don Henley lyric because you can you can check every out every time. Ah, you can check out any time, but you can never leave. Don yeah. Henley also said, "Kill all the lawyers," which he's actually um, quoting Shakespeare. Uh, those are my two <laughs> favorite Don Henley quotes. Uh, going back into cold email though, and the components, I call them spears. Basically, I'm trying to do visual prospecting. Yeah. I want I want emails to look like text messages. I want emails to deliver product marketing visuals. So I use these Venn diagrams, and I know that's in your work too. And I, you know, I uh, you know I have a, a lot of respect for you and Daniel Berger. And we have a channel in a Discord. I have a, like a club called Salesborgs. It's in a Discord server. Imagine if uh, Slack and uh, Zoom had a baby. Uh, they, they've raised a hundred million dollars. It's for gaming. It's we're all yeah. gaming together in a server. Well, we use it to tear down email. Awesome. And so we test these methods. And so everyone just starts to make these visual diagrams uh, and you can send it and it can be wrong. And you send it in the second or third email and you send a Venn diagram and say, what do you think of this diagram? Well, the diagram is processed 60,000 times faster than words, 90% of what we retain. So I'm, I'm kind of this armchair neuroscientist, right? It's uh, it is kind of uh, Neanderthal esque because I'm not studying rats or Schrodinger's cat or, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what are these right. studies like, you know, right. there's a, there's no knife in the room, but there's a puddle on the floor, but they're dead, but there's no window. You know, these crazy like interview for Google word problems. Yeah. It's not like that. It's more like, okay, how does your brain want to work? What I found is email is visual. And I found that phone is about power. 90% of the people think it's about tone, but phone is actually about power transfers. It's about something called polarity shifts. So if I got it, if I was on a tombstone and said, what is the Justin Michael method? It's, Email is visual, you know, phone is, is power dynamics. And that's what so, I figured out. So let's go back to the barbecue NFT company okay. and let's get a subject. So we agree that the email coming in is first processed visually and we have to pattern match it to the kinds of emails that we think need to get processed and responded to. So in, in your world, what's the subject line? The one that worked for me the best is one to three words. I use the subject line growth, lowercase. Uh, there's growth marketing, growth hacking. I came from, I was in mobile advertising for 15 years and there's even a conference called grow.co and I can't think of anyone who doesn't want to grow. So I use this subject line growth 
and it tends to get a very high uh, response. But yeah. So I'll tell you, I mean, I don't, the, the problem is, uh, I think telling people what works, then everybody starts doing it and then it will stop working. I factor but, for that. I'll tell you how. But I, but, but I also, yeah, well, I, I also don't think, you know, <laughs> our reach is, is strong enough. Uh, but here is from, you know, I would say maybe 150 million emails. What we found with, with my group is the number one poll is their on a cold is their name in mm -hmm. lowercase. Yeah. Their name Michael. is strong. Just so, so that, I mean, that to me, that could be your mom. I mean, that pattern matches to somebody who know no business sends you lowercase subject lines with your name. Today. Yeah. Aaron Ross used to write all of all the time in lowercase without punctuation. That's a good pattern interrupt. So I go through all the yeah. pattern interrupt. So what I realized by releasing templates to the industry is there's a guy named Kreuzberger. It's called the Kreuzberger problem. You released a template called appropriate person with a waterfall effect. And you know, I'd said it to Oren yeah, and yeah. Daniel and everyone in the organization and mention all the right. people, you get all confused. I confuse you. Well, everyone started to do it. And so I used yeah. to check my CEO's inbox and they had appropriate person, appropriate person, appropriate. So what I came up with is this thing called, I'm a, this is a really crazy word, but I'm gonna use it and tell everyone what it is. It's called heuristics. It's from engineering, but think of it like meta. Just think of it like, here is the email template and here's what it means. So if I'm gonna use a humorous statement, you know, hey, Oren, I, I hate sequencing to you. It's like a humorous fourth wall statement. Or if I use social proof, I say, you know, I work with top authors to get them on page one of Google. Now I'm using a heuristic of social proof. So I got, my brother's an engineer. What I decided to do is say, well, copy my templates at your peril. Because once the Justin Michael method's out there with the book, similar to how Aaron Ross and Predictable Revenue, actually, did I catch you at a bad time? Is right. because Aaron said to do that and it's become so stale, it's dangerous to use because it's yeah. expected. So what I want people to do is look at the meta frameworks this is so similar to the, what I see you teaching in your courses is think about the meaning of this messaging, the architecture and why you're using it and then make it your own. So you build a hook and you build a social proof and you build a CTA that's gonna work. And if you love this one from this template, don't copy it, do it. So instead of appropriate person, I could say who heads up or in charge, or I could use any synonym to still run the template, but cloak it. Yeah. Yeah. So subject line, I would say, you know, for, for the cold on our barbecue NFT company, I'll just name John, Michael, Prajish, Chang, you know, Susan, Amir, you know, whatever. Uh, and then, so then opening hook it, and, and so, but you, wouldn't you do that, you would say, what, what would your, what would your AB test be on this cold email? So I might do growth plus Oren. So plus adding the name and using a but plus sign. I know, but but see, I'm trying to take you out of what you know, right? Mm -hmm. And apply your technology into a different area. But mm -hmm. so people buying barbecue grills, that, that's why I want to do an actual use case. Yeah. People buying barbecue grills aren't thinking about growth. That's true. I primarily work in B2B and a highly with SaaS and services business. It's funny because there's this other uh, trainer who's really well known, Josh Braun, and he always breaks it down to rain gutters and barbecue mitts and barbecues and grills and bikes. And I feel so disassociated to that because I sell, you know, conceptual complex software, which is also another niche. So it probably limits my reach. But with so the barbecue grill, there might be some differentiate differentiated element about it 
like an outcome because I really believe in sales. There's only four things you can ever do, make money, save money, reduce risk or satisfy regulation. But I also find that pain, fear triggers and innuendo are really powerful. So a lot of what I'm doing, and it's a word like psychosociologically, wow, that was a lot of syllables, is I'm trying to trigger you. Yeah. I'm trying to get you moved from something that's painful. So I'd be like, you know, I don't know what I can do with a grill. Like, is it rusty? Did it, did it blow up? Is there bad warranty? Are you getting, you know, ripped off somehow? Is, are you spending a ton, like a printer cartridge? You're spending all your money on printer cartridges. You're spending all your money on charcoal or on gas to flame it. Is it more See, efficient I, somehow? I think you're just looking to your point for a pattern interrupt. I would just do lowercase this grill. Okay. Right. And then some yeah. kind of weird something, right? You know, this grill. Um, and, and so now we've got an email in, it's a lowercase, it gets clicked on. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay. So then what are your thoughts on the hook? Right. So first, um, I, so my first line is very interesting because what I found, uh, at least with what, with what I'm selling is I tell the prospect that it's relevant to them. This is a very weird thing I found because when we're sending all these videos, videos from Vidyard, no one watched the videos. So almost like cats watching tennis, we'd say, Hey, can you watch the video? So we didn't ask for the meeting, didn't ask about the yeah. we just oriented the video. So I'll say, um, Hey, Oren, I have a product that's very relevant to you. Can I share it? It's weird. So I'm telling you that this is relevant to you. Yeah. And then I'm asking you for almost an opt-in hook. So the hook isn't that hooky. It's more that I'm trying to get you into agreement that it's somehow relevant. Like I read your LinkedIn profile and I have a product that's relevant to you. Can I ask you? And I do this tap out thing where I, I slightly ask when you know I'm not going to ask. Uh, this came from Lee Bartlett from the number one bestseller. He's in the UK. He's a fly fisherman. Um, I like this one. It's unassuming and it tends to lead people in like, okay, it's relevant to me. They almost get combative and then they want to prove why it is or isn't. So they keep reading that, that front hook for me always works for software. What do you think? What do you do? So I try and think in terms of a setup, right? Okay. So if you think of, uh, you know, I lived in Hollywood. And so I think in terms of narrative arcs and, in, and uh, if you think of comedians, uh, the joke format is setup, intrigue, and then reversal mm -hmm. you know, or reveal of the, uh, so, so I try and think of like what is going to set them up. But I think the most important thing for me, Justin, is raising the stakes in that okay. first line, yeah. right? Is raising the emotional or the business or the opportunity or the, um, you know, the, the sense that uh, a decision is coming. You're mm -hmm. going to get some information and a decision is coming, right? And you're on the spot. But this is not information. Stakes are up and we're coming, you are coming to a fork in the road, right? And when you come to the fork in the road, right, I, now I don't have a call to action. I'm just forcing you, I'm forcing you, you know, down the road, you know, and I'm, I'm projecting a force, fork in the road and I'm pushing you into it and you have to choose left or right. Right. So I'm trying to set up that scenario where they know there's a fork in the road, you know, Yogi Berra, that's where I got it from. You know, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And, and, right? Yeah, and, I love you know, Yogi Berra. I quote him a lot. So I'm, uh, I'm trying to raise the stakes. Yep. Uh, and so, so now, you know, we're, we're trying to make it relevant. This is not a robot. And so it would just be, saw your profile, right? Um, I know you're in, um, you know, uh, 
I know the highest of the high end grills are something you keep an eye on. Um, we've got an allocation. Uh, you know, we've got an all allocation of, you know, uh, Nikamuchi, uh, you know, meat and grill coming up. <laughs> then I would just finish that email. Question mark, question mark. Yeah. You know, your move. Your move. Right. So that is a setup, mm -hmm. uh, intrigue, call to action for a fork in the road. And, I love how concise it is. Yeah. If you, if you, I think if you break it down by a character count or a word count, that thing probably taps out at 35 words. So we're the same as trying to reduce it. I say when, when you, when it's at a length where you're scared to send it, where it would offend your CMO or your marketing team wouldn't let you, that's when you send it. You have to be like afraid. It's so short for yep. me because so I love it. Some of the products that I coach people on are transactional, meaning you could one call close it. It's under $25,000. Right. It's something that it's low friction. It's like, you know, like zoom it's 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month. Let's sign up. Still got to sell it. So for those, I use social proof early. So I unpack yeah. it quickly. So sometimes I say I kill the opener I have and I just go, you know, based on your similarity to client, our client, that's very similar yeah. to you. Uh, you know, we could probably help you do this. And so I have this thing called the BS test where I go in as a skeptical executive and I send an email to myself. So, uh, so let me break down these bad emails. So I get this email that says 200% ROI. Okay. Nothing is round ROI. So that's fake. That's a false claim. 212%, 213%. That's interesting. So now it's like social proof. Okay. We did this for Adobe. Yeah, but they're Adobe. It's like everything works for Adobe. I'm just right. bait and tackle shop. You know, I'm just the grill place. So it's, it's, if you use social proof on the hook, like based on how we're helping Acme Corp do X, we probably could be doing a lot for you. Let's talk about the why in the house. So there's a cliffhanger where I hold back, like don't spill the candy Sandler theory, like right there. Um, another thing I'm using is specificity. So I want to know a specific similar customer and then a specific amount of make money, save money, reduce risk. And then I need a specific technical differentiation because otherwise it's just BS. Hey, I help authors get on the front page of Google. They usually get, you know, two X the traffic. Sounds like every SEO pitch. Well, it's because I developed a proprietary algorithm that, you know, has a patent at MIT. Okay. Now that's interesting. So like for me to get hooked, I need social proof specificity. I'm not pushing on a rope. And then I have to see myself in the social, in the case study. Although there was one use case when I used to do this email, where my clients were literally Starbucks, Amazon, and Uber. So I would contact mobile companies and say, I do this for Starbucks, Amazon, and Uber. Do you want to learn how? And boom, they just took meetings. Because even though they weren't that big, everyone wants to know why people go into Starbucks, open their app, and use it as money. And very few brands in the world can get that kind of loyalty going. So uh, to start to do this with barbecues, um, maybe I could preface the bad barbecue they have or use an image of a barbecue blowing up or something painful. The last piece in my system is called emotional resonance. And I call this the Paul Ryan P90X. It's so funny. Like we all know that Paul Ryan was the speaker of the house and he was big on P90X. It's kind of weird. But what did Paul Ryan look like before he got the P90X? So I like most of the emails is the result. I mean, I don't know. Was he like really out of shape and dejected and he wasn't, you know, he has no vigor, but nobody asks. So the problem is if I send you this email, this better state, I've never highlighted the before picture. So what I love to show is 
and I use innuendo. I, it's like a movie theater. You're sitting and they're flashing popcorn at me and I just get, you know, transported to 12 and I suddenly am craving Sour Patch Kids. I'm like, what's happening? I'm, I'm, you know, I don't want to eat Sour Patch Kids. It's poison, but I'm dying for it because I'm being hit subliminally. So what I do, I use that in email. So I do trigger words. I go, you know, they were tearing their hair out. They're frustrated. It was painful. They were hemorrhaging money. And then we put in the solution that automated their files. So I actually pepper in pain words and fear words uh, subliminally to get it to convert. Because when I got the text messages, I got the open rates to 60%. But then I couldn't get the conversion rates. So I just had to do that kind of before after. I know I'm blasting a lot at you quickly, but um, well, I'm so curious. I, yeah, <laughs> it's not a barbecue. But, if, but if, I, if, I, if I jump up a level, I mean, one thing that I just want to highlight is, is how much, I mean, we're talking, so we started talking about a multi-channel, multi-exposure tech stack. <laughs> we sort of went through that right now we've been talking 30 minutes on one piece of that tech stack. I mean, this is, so I'm not suggesting that you put this much effort or geek out to this level on the psychology <laughs> and the technology and the tech stack. I'm not suggesting you do that. It might not be your thing, but I can tell you there are people in your business who are doing this amount of work. I mean, the people that come to us and they're 75% of the way through, maybe they don't have the messaging and the final piece of the tech stack done. I mean, they are obsessing on these elements. The reason they come to us is because they're obsessing so much, they've just gotten stuck and they need to break through. So sometimes, you know, and this, you know, this is pretty cool. If I have to send a longer email uh, and you could try this, I will send the entire email in the subject line. I'm kind of worried for that. That's crazy. I, I've I'll, never I'll, heard send that. Two, I'll send a 200 word email in the subject line. <laughs> That's genius. Their response rate is 175%. Why is it so high? Because they'll send it to other people and go, look at this shit. That's genius. I just sent me an entire email with information, (laughs) data on us, and, you know, know, call to action and contact information in the subject line. So there'll be a more than 100% response rate to that. Well, this is what I call Tiger Woods theory, you know. Uh, okay, Tiger, give me your exact clothes and your exact golf clubs. I'll put me on the course. Okay. You know, I get worse. I slice harder and faster into the trees Yeah, and I sweat more because I can't, I'm not a pro golfer. So what we're talking about is the bullets and the weapon. If I'm firing blanks, who cares if I have a howitzer? So, you know, garbage in, garbage out. If you don't master the psychology, neuroscience, persuasion, game theory, if you don't go in and think, about the human brain. Now, my first version of the book was going to be 1910 because the human brain in 1910 and 2010 is the same. There's a guy named Todd Capone, who's my trainer at Salesforce. He's a sales historian. He's found out that most of the systems in sales today are from 1890. It's just what you said, because the human mind isn't any different. <laughs> so if you don't figure out the triggers and the copywriting piece, and what's really crazy is the prevailing systems in sales are marketing copywriting, and they're not uh, sort of the tactical groundwork that great sellers figure out. Executives, C-level executives, they write in short form for considered purchases. I remember I, I sent a CEO this super long email and he goes, rad, at like 10 p.m. I don't know where he was, probably wrote it with one hand, rad. Yeah. But here's the thing though, deeper into the sales cycle, you really do need to learn to write. You know, I wrote a 270 page book with Tony Hughes. I mean. I will do a 3000 word email. So I did a 600 K deal, 236 emails on the thread. Many of the emails over 2000 words. 
And I, my CEO is looking at me like, what are you doing? You're writing a great American novel because this is a very smart person on that end trying to consider a very elaborate set of technology. And by the time I captivated their attention, I've peaked the interest, set the hook, and I've got them. Now they need meat on the bones. Like if for any of you who have leased a luxury car, it's pretty funny. I uh, went to lease this uh, uh, pretty nice BMW in San Francisco. I was like, oh, your boss comes here. I was working for Salesforce. So hilarious. I won't say who that is, but... Um, uh, they sent, they showed me on a piece of paper, 12 pages from the ceiling to floor. I had to initial my name for this car 62 times. And then they gave me a thumb drive of all the confirmation commitments I made. So I used, I took this in enterprise sales and I was like, oh, it's not long enough. It's not, let's make it look like that BMW lease. Oh, you 500K? You want to do a million dollar deal? We need a 12 page proposal. <laughs> and it just thickets of information the rush yeah. from John, because then they feel like, damn, we're getting all this. Um, but I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting off the field. I don't want people to think that the solution for fundraising or getting meetings is short form, but it certainly is for the very top of the funnel I found. And if you're going to automate. Yeah. And so in your mind is that, so the, the sales stack, the messaging for the top of the funnel, uh, let's just talk about touches. Cause I know you have very well developed thoughts on number of touches and angle of touches. Yeah. And I think we can wrap up talking really about escalation from, so, what I find is it's very easy to show someone how to open a pitch mm -hmm. right, in a meeting, right? And that is basically to say, oh, hey, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming for the 10.03 meeting. Would you, you want me to catch you up on the 10 o'clock meeting? Right? So that's the opening. And it works 100% of the time. I mean, the more higher status the people in the room are, the better it is because those guys know the value of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you start with the big idea. Hey, look, everything's changing. Meteors are coming towards the earth. It's going to create a nuclear winter. If you don't build <laughs> warm underground bunkers, when the nuclear winter hits, you're going to freeze to death. All right. So basically the first people to figure this out were the billionaires. Second people figured this out were the 500 millionaires. The hundred millionaires are building bunkers right now. You're up next, right? <laughs> but if you, this is your opening. You can buy building materials, you can buy real estate, and you can buy the people who build bunkers now. But in about six months, it's going to skip you and go down to the next level, and you're not going to survive the nuclear winter. So that's the opening, right? That's, you know, the, and, and so the openings are easy to show. As you get further into a sale, the sale becomes more nuanced and complex. True. Right? Go yeah. more different directions. So I think the best thing we can do here is really help people on top of funnel, but I want to talk a little bit more about escalation and getting down, uh, you know, downstream of it. Um, and then let you go back to your, you know, day job going down and in, in putting trying to catch my day job, trying to catch up to Orrin Claff, you know, lowering canaries into the coal mine. Um, uh, so, so, uh, the, so, so let's just go back quickly to tech stack number of touches mm -hmm. in which channels to maximize uh, just getting somebody into that top of funnel uh, um, um, re response. We're not talking about conversion. We're just talking about getting them from out there in the ether to into the top of the funnel. Yeah. So I've been, I've been nicknamed the machine, the honey badger and the hummingbird. You know, I've had colleagues who said, Justin, I don't read any of your emails. What I do is I create a folder and every Friday I look at them and I was shocked when I finally opened them and read it all. It was all really high quality stuff. Can you do me a favor? 
could you once a week give me a digest of the summary of the emails that you send me? Like I've had insane stuff like this. Yeah. So I would say that my systems work because they're 10 X to hundred times higher activity than you think. So I created these systems that are clusters and bumps and they're omni-channel. And this is how crazy it is. I call it bee swarming and it comes out of no mobile technology. The first yeah. day I contact you, I call you, then I leave a voicemail, then I send an email, then I connect with you on LinkedIn. So I wrote this book uh, called Combo Prospecting. I co-wrote it with Tony Hughes. So call, voicemail, email, LinkedIn, that's a quad. So we have a triple quad. Quint, I hit your Twitter for a like. Um, you know, and so I had four or five touches, but day two bump with the word thoughts, day three image bump. So we're now at about nine to 12 touches. Now, typically it takes five to 12 touches over three weeks to unlock a meeting. I'm hitting the nine to 12 Delta in the first two days. And then I'm using visual cues for the 60,000 times processing. So I have, I have my payload of frequency of messages in 24 hours exceeds the normal payload of a 30 day sequence. Yeah. And so <laughs> by the way, if you don't, a lot of, a lot of people don't know this, but if you don't answer Justin's, you know, uh, 30 day, four week, multi-channel 19 bump, uh, text email barrage, he'll just fucking slash your tires. <laughs> I know you're in there. <laughs> I've never had a restraining order, uh, you know, and it's uh, never been a problem because what it does, cause I ran an agency that did this is it just the senior executives do this. Hey, I'm good remove because I thought about my own behavior. If you really badger me, I'll look at it. And if you bug me, but it's value, I'll be like, okay, it's cool. Talk to Cindy. I'm up high enough in the clouds at the C level at the decision maker that I'm probably going to get delegated. So I do get a very high level of referrals, but I get a ton of responses and I work that referral queue. And because I'd say, well, Hey, Daniel orange sent me to you, bam, that has clout. And I'm going in rather than just hammering Daniel the whole so, time. What, yeah. One thing I say on this, and I don't think we can get into it, uh, one of the problems I find that people using this tech stack, using this approach, uh, but they are, a lot of them are dead ends, right? So the call to action is a dead end that if the person doesn't reply, then you have to, did you get my message, right? Then you have to get really low status messaging to get it reinvigorated. And so what we try and do is leave it open so it's safe to come back around. Right? For sure. So, That's so this true. is really cool. Like a lot of times, you know, we're very, very, the guys we're trying to read are very senior. Email is our main channel, but, but I like this. Like but a lot of times what we'll do, and this is so cool. We'll have conversations about the target mm. in an email that is not directed at them. We'll just be talking about them. That's genius. It, I've never seen that. It, it, right. It's so, so, and we'll have these characters within our business and we sort of build this space opera or now they're just paying attention to the emails to see what's happening in this opera about them. Uh, and, 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 you know, eventually then we'll hit a call to action and then they're right on it. So you can send an email to somebody that isn't to them, but it's about them. That's brilliant. That's a it's, totally it's, new thing. It's I've never really seen. fun. It's really fun and cool. Uh, and so the, the, you know, the way we think about it is um, status and hierarchy. So if you come in high status, right, you say, hey, look, we're peers. I'm trying to help you with this problem. You have it. I don't. Yeah. Right. Without, I've solved this problem all the time. Right. I'm trying to help you. Right. Then they're not responsive. Then what I'll do is, is push them down to someone lower in the organization Right. And then we can continue communicating to them. Uh, and, and so that person lower in the organization can now communicate to someone lower in their organization about them. And you've built you're building this whole relationship. 
right? And then if that person doesn't communicate, then you can push down to an admin and it just admin to admin, which is uh, Justin and Oren were trying to find a time together. They keep missing, right? <laughs> Let's look out into September and really nail something down that works. And there's this whole, um, now, now your organizations are built to work together. Mm -hmm. Admins aren't judgmental. W once they believe a task has been set, their goal is to uh, accomplish that task, mm -hmm. right? And so when when you could push it down, admin to admin or peers and saying, hey, I'm trying to get this set. You guys seem like you're having trouble setting it. Let's just push it out another three weeks and nail it down. And now that admin is invigorated to do her job, which is to set a meeting. Uh, so, so there's lots of fun you can have pushing things down the social hierarchy and playing with status. But um, so, so now you've got uh, – I'm not sure how I got off on that track. But now either your method or my method or some conjoined method, you know, we've got technology, <laughs> we've got messaging going out. Someone's responded, and they're in – they're saying, it's, Justin looks interesting, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to learn more. Yeah. What now? Well, what now is that um, if you do book meetings, it's funny, I try to work with people all over the world, thousands of reps just to book meetings, and now you have a problem. You, <laughs> if you use these technologies, you're having more conversations, you're booking meetings, and now you have better problems. And the next problem is that only seven in 10 people come to a meeting. So there's tech stacks now for getting the calendar. So there's a thing called Chili Piper. And what it does is you set it once, and it, if they need to reconfirm, they reschedule. It sends the alerts and UIs and updates, but I go further. So just that you talked about FaceTime drops, I think, earlier, which is really savage. Yeah. I wouldn't do it. It's like a base jump. Like, imagine if yeah. I just showed up on Oren's phone and FaceTime. Uh, I don't think you'd like that. But well, I, I don't think be... you'd like it because I answer it in the shower. But anyway. <laughs> That's funny, but I would have to have a really good value proposition. Like, I'd have to if have I a way to make you it. You call me from an unrecognized number. I swear <laughs> to God, I'll answer it in the shower. Hey, what's up, motherfucker? What you got? Oh, That's shit. Exactly. Hey, yeah. for Dish. Yeah. Okay. I would say if it's a weird time of day, if someone like showed up on my phone, like who died, you know, like this better uh, <laughs> be good. Um, that was so funny. I forgot the question. <laughs> Tell me one more. What did I just yeah. say? Tell me. Just, just, just when you think you know the answer, I changed the question. You totally threw me. I love it. What, what were you asking again? I'll, I'll get you. So yeah, uh, the um, hey, looks really interesting. Love to learn uh -huh. more. Yes. Yeah, so the problem is that what I do is I say, you know, great. We're going to set up some time. And I say, I, you know, you're probably going to miss this meeting. I know how busy you are. Can I just get your cell phone to send you a reminder the day before and make sure I have the agenda? Sure. Yeah. Boom. Legal cell phone update. Now it's game over. Now I got WhatsApp. Now I got yeah. cell phone. I'm opted in. It's, it's the impossible. And once I, so I, so once I have that, then it's game over because then I'll just get on a text message and then pass the, now I have legal text. I mean, it's 99% open rate. That's how I close all my deals. I use chat platforms. So I use WhatsApp, I use real time and I dethread. So another big problem is chaining, like break the chain, feel the pain. So now we've sent the proposal and the pitch. There's six people on the chain. Well, I don't know that Oren is the CEO of the company, you know, is out of town because his sick relative in Sweden or something. And everyone's just sitting there waiting for Oren to respond. And these other five people have gone mute and I'm checking in and checking in. So what I do is I take the chain, I dethread the chain. I have everyone's cell phone and I ping someone. I say, Susan, what did Oren think? What yeah. did you think? Oh, Oren's out of town. So then I can tell my CRO, okay, the deal hasn't really stalled. Here's what's going on. But what I'll do is I'll only let people see uh, the, the open chain for certain reasons. So what I would say is that this is more operational is try to get into real time platforms with people, stay professional, 
but that's the holy grail because then so you know the one thing i would add and by the way i'm learning something that i want to share i want to wrap up with yeah uh, but and and uh because because i think we're just trying to do a podcast not a four-hour uh, you know, technology Live at cheap yeah. trick. Oh, hey, you know, um, I, I had a I had a technology summit with Justin. Oh, really? How many people came? Oh, no, it was just he and I. Um, <laughs> Four <laughs> hours of so insanity. the one thing I would add. Thank you so much. Um, one thing I would add is when you go up into higher stakes executives who sort of are more cognizant, or maybe even people who are in marketing and can see the Frankenstein happening. The one thing I would add to your method is, is have m multiple people on your side. So vice president of marketing, talk to vice president of marketing, admins, talk to admins, CEOs, yeah. talk to CEOs. I mean, this was in flip the script. Uh, you don't want to read you the book, but it is, um, it confuses the social hierarchy when you have Justin talking to an admin <laughs> right. And, yeah. and it's going to because you're the senior guy trying to make a deal happen. Right. And you're also your own admin. Right. Interesting. Yeah. The pairing. So, so if you're moving up into a higher stake deal where the, the stakes are one hundred thousand dollars or a million dollars. Right. It is very, very powerful to have a, a, a hierarchy on your end that matches theirs. You. So where I learned this is you cannot do a venture deal where you have the CEO, it just, it, it, it causes deals to fall apart. The CEO is responding to their analysts, to their junior analysts, to their senior analysts, to their legal people, to their CFO. And you have this, the CFO plugging into all of these prongs. It just begs credibility. And every time he's answering questions from the analyst, his status is lowered because what happens is the venture group says, well, hey, look, this guy responds to our analyst, right? And they just mm -hmm. keep pushing all the questions, all the issues to save time down to their most junior person because it works. Wow. Yeah, that's really interesting. So we remove our CEO from any interaction with the venture group, and they have to earn the right to talk to him on substantive issues. So a little bit different space, but I do feel like uh, if there's something you want to try – Admins talk to admins, the, you know, um, um, marketing coordinators talk to marketing coordinators. Um, the, the, so if you think of uh, CEO, COOs talk to C COOs and CEOs talk to CEOs. If you try that, then I think it, it sort of gives you lots more free space to get control over a higher stakes deal. Yeah. I love that. We called that the CEO bullet because, um, I guess legend has it. Um, Wait a second. Wait a second. There's nothing you could say to Justin that he doesn't say he's like, we call this the, you know, we well, already I've have read, a name for I've it. I've read over 200 sales books and I've changed he's, thousands. Yeah. He's, it, what he's doing naturally is, um, maintaining the status position. Like, Hey, that's very interesting. Or yeah, we, you know, we call that the thing. I have right? read your book, so yeah, it's not so, fair. So, so I have I, read pitch anything. You all, <laughs> The second thing I learned, or the, the main thing I learned from all of this is never let Justin near your girlfriend, like air gap your girlfriend, right? Because he will be on her WhatsApp and, uh, you know, and FaceTime and everything like that. And you're, you're absolutely defenseless from losing your uh, beautiful girlfriend to, are, are you married? Do you have kids? Are you? Uh, I, I don't want to get in my personal life on this call. So okay. I, I, I do have a, a six-year-old daughter. That is true. Oh, really? And uh, yeah. And, uh, and I'm spoken for, but um, yeah. <laughs> if, if business... I, I don't want to get in my 
personal life on this call. But, you know, I've got a beautiful six-year-old daughter. Um, you know, I'm in a wonderful relationship with a woman. Yeah, I've been together for 10 years. Uh, you know, we had our anniversary, um, you know, getting together in Hawaii. <laughs> Would you like to see some pictures? We can, I, I t- I, I'm strictly business. I'm not on Facebook. Um, but, yes, I learned a lot there. I have not used the de-adminning or going down to the generals to generals um, before. But I just wanted to equate that to um, when I was at LinkedIn – we would save the Jeff Weiner meeting, like the meeting with the CEO for the very last bit where the CEOs would meet together. It's great advice. I love the way you think. Everything you've um, come up with, it's it's like we're like jazz musicians that are, you know, we're both playing free jazz in a similar way. I don't know your area of venture capital. I'm a, you know, a wobbly deer there, but I do know about B2B SaaS email a ton. Um, that's really been my, my niche. So I'd love to I do love- this again. It's incredible. I love what you're doing. Um, last thing maybe we can end up on is use because uh, because I'm just addressing this on LinkedIn now and we're putting out an email on it. Use of humor. Mm, use of humor. Yeah. Where, when, if, never, always, sometimes at your discretion, none of the above. It's my brand. I tend to use, I also like, I'm, I'm like Will Smith. I don't, I don't have to, uh, you know, cuss in my records, but Gary, Gary V does, um, you know, Tony Robbins now is motivating people by, you know, loudly and hoarsely using the F word at them. It seems to be working. Like, I mean, I'm not opposed to it. I, I don't have an issue with it. Um, uh, but I use a lot of appropriate humor. That's like Dilbert. It's like, silly it's like uh, chevy chase you know and it does backfire but i don't care because i'd rather be funny and be myself and be corny and punny because it's just who i am in business and so um i, I weaponize the humor i do it personally but it, there is risk especially if you're working in enterprise what about you Arne? your stuff's hilarious like i, I read yeah. your updates you know thank you uh i think he, the the one thing about humor is i love it i think it's got to be part of your personality. Uh, So there's two things about it. Um, I don't like things that are quips. It's either funny or it's not funny. Right? So if it's like a chuckle, I don't like the use of it. It'll be, but my stuff is very high stakes and I'm really looking to emotionally motivate someone to a decision tree. And so I like to really, if it's funny, then it's fucking funny. Right? But if it's just like, uh, yeah, that's, yeah. So one, and the second thing is no jokes. Like you can use humor, you can be funny, you can point out. So humor is a topic for a different day. But um, humor is truth and pain. That's that's right. Do you know, if you go study the Waynes brothers, they grew up, I think, all in a one room uh, spot, like nine of them, and they're all successful. They have brutal childhood, but they're some of the funniest uh, people ever. So from pain comes... The hilarity, but yeah, don't tell knock knock jokes and don't do the crocodile don't thing, but be joke. witty, be witty. Yeah. This one I haven't seen though, I haven't made that a policy, but you're right. My stuff is just it's sort of funny. Uh, this rep quit this big company, he sent the lyrics to Justin uh, Bieber. What do you mean? Just the lyrics, the deal closed. He literally left the company the next day, and it was one of his biggest deals because he let loose and he just did something bold and crazy, and the prospect loved it. <laughs> well, I so, so here's what happens with humor, and we can finish on this. You know, when the dog barks and the phone rings, it's not always the case that the dog barking made the phone ring. <laughs> so, yeah. people say, yeah, I, I, so, you know, I told this joke and it closed the deal. Oh, how about the financial model and the pitch you gave and the, you know, 17 years That's of business true. and the, you know, $770 million in revenue you have at a 10% EBITDA and a 40% growth rate. 
you know, but, oh yeah, of course it was the joke that closed the deal. So, you know, whenever I hear that, you know, a joke or something funny closed a deal, I always sort of wonder if the dog barking made the phone ring. Uh, but, but I think ultimately most people are not capable of telling a joke in the origination process that would in any way um, um, move it forward. I mean, I think yeah. I could do it if I really, I mean, I have jokes that I've told, you know, to on stage with Tony Robbins to tens of thousands of people that I've seen work in all kinds of languages all over the world. Yeah. Right. And, and so I, I feel like I could get a joke to work, but it would take everything I have to pull it together and to what benefit. So no jokes, but I do love if, you know, pulling your, personality out mm -hmm. and and if if humor is truthfully about truth and pain it's a way to share some self-deprecating material about yourself yeah and that i think is super helpful always make fun of yourself and i'll say i find myself funny but that's problematic and it's ego in a way because a lot of people have described me as very weird quirky and eccentric that's the word i get a lot so i think that's because i do go humor forward in just about everything and it's always witty and sarcastic so i think a lot of people receive messages from me and just think is he a cyborg like what is he saying and i'm you know what? i've embraced that as a brand as a little bit of a zany uh, futurist and that's you know that's cool you know I, I really like like elon musk's brand you know how he's just what he did with the cyber truck where he he, he pretend like he did he really know the glass was going to break on the truck like that that to me uh is masterful showmanship so if you can get to the elon musk cyber truck glass break with everything we're talking about today that's sort of the nirvana state so i kind of have to go but you're in class so it's like yeah you know, no you're very i like you i like you a lot <laughs> you're a very interesting person thank you, you likewise you know your material. The only reason I'm yelling at you is because I feel, um, you know, limited in your area, and I'm trying to make myself look good as 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 hard as it is compared to your actual talent. So I appreciate you coming here today Too and kind. sharing, Thanks, like real meaningful. I, I, well, I think here's the issue: you came here today and shared stuff that you actually get paid for doing, it's and, true. and you're not. Well, you're not afraid to do that. Like that's not your job is to come on this podcast and tell people like what you act, your product, what you actually sell. So I appreciate, you know, you doing that and, and, and going in deep into it. And you're a very interesting person. Next time we'll have you on to talk a hundred percent about your personal life because I see that. <laughs> yeah. You'll find every button. It's all good. You know, we all, we all can be, uh, it's hard to have a private life when you have 40,000 followers on, on LinkedIn. So these days. Oh, it's much easier when you have, you know, 11. I can tell you that. Uh, hey I guys, don't want to be famous. Did I tell you about my son, what he did yesterday? Anybody? <laughs> Hello? Is this on? Hello? Yeah. What the fuck is wrong with LinkedIn? Anyway. All right. Justin, we'll I'll talk, talk to you again. Yeah. Thanks for everything. Bye. Thanks, Bye. everyone. Hey, thanks for listening. And be sure to stay tuned for more great content from Oren Claff. If you want to get daily insights and additional assets, go to orinclass.com slash daily and sign up for a seven-day trial of The Daily Dealmaker. See you next time.